On the Record with White House Correspondent April Ryan. I'm April Ryan, and this is On the Record. And today I am so pleased to have a girlfriend, um, a sister in the struggle, someone who needs no introduction. All I have to do is say, are you a reader? Are you into AM Joy? Are you into just politics in the raw from her perspective? Joy Reid, I so thank you so much for joining me today. Joy Reid of MSNBC and NBC. Joy, thank you. April Ryan, my girl. How you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. This is the Dragon Slayer. I always tell her, I text her, I say, you're the Dragon Slayer. And I mean, she really I'm is. You are. Huh? No, you're the dragon. No, you are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joy, talk to me. I mean, you know, and, 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 and for those who don't really believe, but I mean, there are a group of us that just text one another all the time about the current state of affairs. You know, you want to talk to us. Sometimes we have to talk to one another. And it's surprising to even us. Joy, what are your thoughts about what we're seeing right now? And when I say what we're seeing, we've never seen a time like this where a president has been in battle from day one. Um, and we're in the second year. I mean, uh, the anniversary, his year anniversary going into the second year, there was a government shutdown. And there's a divide in the nation politically, racially, culturally, gender. I mean, there is. There are chasms everywhere. For times such as this, what are you seeing and what are you feeling? Yeah, and I'll you know echo what you said that there you know there are those of us, uh, several, many of us that are in this business that we text each other for sanity, just for a reality check to make sure we're not crazy. Because as we're seeing these things, as you know, April, you know, you and I have been watching politics for a long time. There's never been anything like this in my lifetime. I, I don't recall any kind of presidency that is similar to Donald Trump. Um, I almost feel like sometimes we're living through what it would have been like if George Wallace had won, because wow. he's, the, he's the closest equivalent, or if Pat Buchanan had become president. I feel like those are the two most analogous politicians to him, but neither of them came even close to becoming president. So it's, it's sort of historic that after the first black president, someone like this could win, who ran on, you know, Mexicans are rapists, and who's now pursuing a really aggressively anti-non-white immigrant policy blatantly, you know, asking the FBI director who he voted for, entangled in a scandal involving Russia, potentially conspiring with his campaign, and on and on and on. There's so much that it's almost hard to keep up with it. So, yeah, these are very unusual times. And it's interesting, two points. You know, you talked about Mexicans being rapists, but also birther. Uh, the birther issue, many people thought that was racial and they thought it was wrong, uh, calling, uh, saying that President Obama was illegitimate because he was allegedly born in Kenya, which he was not. The president has produced a birth certificate. And Donald Trump has uh, essentially apologized. But I also want to go back to what you said about George Wallace. George Wallace apologized on his deathbed. He said he was sorry. Um, does that count? <laughs> No, it's it's interesting because George Wallace, you know, there are a lot of parallels, um, one of which is that Donald Trump, you know, claims he's the least racist person you've ever met. George Wallace claims to not be racist. Uh You know, there was a time when George Wallace was running for governor, I think his first gubernatorial bid when he failed, and he ran saying he was the best friend the Negro ever had. And then when he lost, um, he said he would never be out N-worded again, and he went hard right. Um, and that worked for him in terms of capturing disgruntled white voters who are resentful of the civil rights movement. And so we know that 
you know, appealing to bigotry and, you know, racism and racial anxiety, it does work to a certain extent because people are tribal and when they feel that their own tribe is getting less because some other group is getting more, it, it does compel a lot of people. People will vote on the basis of negative feelings about other people. But, you know, something you just said is extraordinary. The idea that an American president had to produce his birth certificate, let alone the first black president being you know, sort of humiliated in that way, should have told all of us that we were headed for a Trump-type presidency to follow Barack Obama, because him winning really convulsed this nation in a lot of ways. It put a fear into a certain part of the population that they were losing control of the society, and Trump is the result. So, yeah, George Wallace eventually, you know, came back around and apologized for what he'd done, which tells me that what he did was just cynical theater, in order to get power. With Trump, I don't think it's theater. I think this is what he really believes. I think he I think he genuinely feels the, exactly what he's saying. I don't think it's theater. And that's interesting. That's the interesting piece. So, when we see all of this, and, and, and this is what has me uh, perplexed as a journalist. Um, not as a black woman as of yet, but as a journalist. Because you know, what we do is we compare history. I mean, you just talked about, you know, George Wallace and, and the history of that time. This is not 1958, not 1968. It's 2018. And yet there are parallels. There are mirrors that we can look in and say, mm, all I have to do is create a sepia tone picture or a black and white picture. And it looks like we're right back in that time. But what really strikes me, Joy, what wasn't in 1958 or 1968 was Twitter, social media. People are now protesting on social media and not marching and walking constantly. They'll do it on the year anniversary every now and again. But during the civil rights movement or those movements, they kept the pressure on. Are you kind of wondering about that yourself? Because I'm like, when is the activation? Because people are talking about this. I don't like this. I have this great dis-ease about this. But I'm not seeing the outpouring of, you know, what's, you know, people jumping and, and saying this is not right. Well, I think, you know, you are seeing it pop up sporadically. You know, when the Muslim ban happened, people went to the airport. When the Republicans threatened to take away 30 million Americans' health care through Obamacare, people, you know, went onto the phones and, you know, flooded Congress with calls. When, the, you know, when Trump was inaugurated, women went into the streets and then they went out again in numbers nobody expected um, at the anniversary of the Women's March. So I think it's happening in discrete moments. There isn't a sustained set of marches, but I think there's a sustained level of outrage. I've never seen this level of anger at the results of a presidential election last this long. Remember the stolen election of 2000? <laughs> I was there. Court, right? Yeah, and yeah. I was in Florida. Yeah. And, peop- and I expected people to be... Pregnant chads and dimple chads. Oh, my God. Right. And people did nothing. I mean, there was a huge inaugural protest. You know, people were throwing eggs at George W. Bush's motorcade yeah. as he went to his inauguration. But after the inauguration, it really calmed down. And then once yeah. 9-11 happened, there was not another peep about the stolen election. People rallied around that president at that time. They did. At that time. With, yeah. Right. But with Trump, I can't imagine people rallying around him in that way, really, for in, under any circumstances. I think I've never seen this level of outrage sustained for this long. Um, so 
I think it is actually sustainable more. And, and I have to say, April, if Donald Trump were to fire Robert Mueller, I am confident that you would see an outpouring of people into the streets that would be similar to the protest in the Vietnam War. And they like to talk about collusion. There's no collusion, but they make it a point to not talk about obstruction of justice because those words are hanging so heavily overhead. And that's the issue. The question of obstruction of justice more so, um, that's more so able to be proved uh, if there is versus collusion. But Joy, and, and this is something I want to, I want to, um, before I let you go, we're going to talk about your projects you're working on, uh, your podcast, your podcast, and also talk about your books. But I, I, I want to talk about this really fast. And, and I guess sometimes we as reporters, we have to lead by example. And I'm going to shed a little light. You know, we have both Democratic and Republican friends, correct? We do. Yeah. And people, and, and, and this is what gets me. And that's how a great reporter or a great anchor or new show talk show host can continue to bring information because we talk to one another and there's this like polarized society now this tribalism what do you recommend because I mean it, it amazes me how people are like oh I can't believe you talked to them I mean I had uh, dinner with Sarah Huckabee Sanders trying to do a reset trying for us to, to come and reason together so that I can ask the questions in the briefing room that get answered for people who need answers it doesn't mean that we're friends or that things have not changed but it means you know just trying to get an understanding of one another I mean what do you think yeah, well I need the tea on that meeting first of all <laughs> Oh, I'll knock the pot over. I'll tell you. But go ahead. Okay, check me after. Um, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I talk to Republicans all the time, and I think people are surprised when they hear that you or I, you know, talk to Republicans, white and black. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a circle of, you know, there's the inner circle of friends, like you are my friend. Mm -hmm. There's the next band of people who are, you know, people we know from this business or from mm -hmm. this world who are, you know, fr we're friendly with, mm -hmm. then there's another outer band of people who are sources right. and who we also maintain friendly relations with mm -hmm. so that we can keep the dialogue open. I know people who voted for Donald Trump. I think this idea that we don't know anybody who voted for Trump and therefore we can't analyze politics properly because we're completely biased is foolish. It doesn't it matter what my personal politics are. I have to be able to talk to everyone in order to do my job my job is to inform my audience and I can't do that if I'm only talking to Democrats um, so I you know we make a real effort to get some of that on the show but there's a difference between the kind of people who will talk to me on background and you mm -hmm. and the kind of people who will go on TV with us you right. and I both know there are many people right. who are giving us information but who aren't going to go on TV That's right. and do that right. so, so we mean you know as journalists part of our job is to have a wide circle and to have a full phone full of contacts. So people should not be disabused to think that we are in a bubble where we don't know anyone on the other yeah. side and don't talk to them. And when we don't know, that's when you don't know. And, and when you've been in the business so long, you amass a reputation of trust from all sides. People talk to you and they know that they're not going to be outed, you know. And But but a lot of times also too, when people tell you something, they want to give you information because maybe they don't like what's going on. And that's what we've been finding a lot with this White House. People are leaking like sieves because they're like, this is not right. I've never seen anything like it. This is the leakiest, <laughs> most treacherous White House I've ever seen. Ever Call a plumber. <laughs> 
call a plumber. They're, te- they're constantly leaking on each other. Yeah. And that's the other thing is the motivation. And you yeah. and I both know that, you know, when you get a leak or you get information, you also have to figure out, well, what's the motive? Mm-hmm. Who is this person trying to hurt? Because sometimes people give you information that isn't true. Yeah. Sometimes people give you information right. to hurt a colleague so they can move up. You know, so there's all sorts of motives for why people in this administration are leaking. But mm-hmm. you also have a situation where I've never seen an administration where so many people have to have lawyers. During the Clinton era, they had to lawyer up because of all of the investigations of the president. Yeah. That's the last time we've really seen this level. But in that case, that was about a sexual affair and a failed land deal. This is about potential co- uh, conspiracy to work with a foreign power to help get elected, and then money laundering potentially, potentially tax evasion, potentially other nefarious dealings with foreign powers. It's so multi-layered. It really I don't know is. if anyone works there if they don't have a lawyer constantly on speed dial. Right. It's manic there. But, you know, we can continue this conversation forever, Joy. I'm sorry I'm under the weather, but, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. Um, but, you know, one thing I want to do before we leave, I want to thank you because you are just amazing. I do still watch, even though I'm on the other network, <laughs> CNN. I, know. I, I miss still, you. I miss you, too, girl. I do. But I watch me some AM and PM Joy whenever I can. And I'm always tweeting you out or what have you. And, and give your Twitter handle. It is Joy Ann Reed, J-O-Y-A-N-N-R-E-I-D. And you know I follow you too, April Lee Ryan. I know, that's right, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Enjoy your books, and what are you working on? So um, I, I just actually came from a book signing um, at the University of Virginia, um, oh. I think actually the Paramount Theater near UVA, okay. um, for both my books. Um, the first one was Fracture, Barack Obama, The wow. Clintons, and the Racial Divide, um, that came out in 2015. And then uh, We Are the Change We Seek. The Speeches of Barack Obama, which came out December 2016. So I'm still working on those. And I have a book proposal due, so help me out, girl. Give me some ideas. <laughs> I'm finishing <laughs> up a book. I got a couple days. I have to have it done by February 1, girl. But the, but you know what? It's important for us, for the seat that you sit in. Not many African-American women sit in that seat and have the access and understanding that you do. It is important that you give, and, 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 and I would say myself and others, give our perspective from that unique perch that we sit in everyone doesn't have this perch and it's a very unique perch and i support you my sister i thank you joy and you i support you too and let me just throw in a shout out to you april because i have a lot of people who will say why doesn't april just storm out of the briefing room and you know you and i've had this conversation (laughs) we think go down your path and walk out but i'm so glad that you don't because the reality is as you said, there are not very many of us in the room. And if we're not in the room, then how are we going to inform our audience? That's right. People who look like us, right. need to be in the room. And I know you recently gave me a sister, uh, a sister uh, assist. You know, sometimes you need to, to reach out to your sister yeah. to get a little bit of a buck up uh, on, you know, whether I should be in the room for a certain event. And you really made the point that if we're not there, that's our right. community is not there. That's right. So I salute you uh, for Thank being you. in that room. And that's, and that's the piece, because I always say, and it sounds like it's very arrogant, but it's not. It's the truth. I've been there 21 years, Joy. If I'm not asking the questions, who will? And there are more than crescendo moments for questions to be asked. You know, we have questions beyond, and, and this is these are impactful moments, the Eric Garners, the Trayvons, the Katrinas, the Flints. We have the highest numbers of negatives in almost every category. And in 2018, more than 50 years out, you know, this is the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination, and we're still talking we need first-class citizenship. So, hey, you know. But anyway, 
All right, my sister. Joy Reed, you guys, give her a round of applause from wherever you are. I love you, girl. And thank you for being on the record with April Ryan. Thank you. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.